A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Pour mieux aller les percuter, pourquoi pas les déborder Oh là, oh là c'est un carton incontestable de Nibiaggio. Il est jaune. Earlier in the evening, the Prime Minister launched another spectacular addition to the capital skyline. British Airways London Eye. It is an empty big wheel after failing to get safety clearance to carry passengers on the big night. From the first celebrations on the islands of the Pacific to the capital cities of Europe, there have been spectacular ceremonies to herald the year 2000. Hello everybody and welcome to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with The Blizzard. Joining myself and Jonathan Wilson today is Michael Cox, football writer and author of The Mixer and Zonal Marking, the making of modern European football. Lovely to have you with us, Michael. Thank you for the invitation. Now we go to the final of the European Championships in the year 2000 for uh, this podcast. France beat Italy 2-1 that day via Golden Goal. Michael, why have you gone for this one? I just think it's an interesting game in in lots of ways. It's maybe not the most fascinating game in itself you ever see, as is the case with a lot of finals. But I think there's a really interesting backstory, the way that Italy kind of got themselves in in shape for this game, the way that France have kind of emerged as a footballing force over the 90s. Um, There's the fact that there's uh, a prequel, if you like, with the 1998 
uh, quarterfinal, which was 0-0. And then, of course, the sequel, which was the 2006 World Cup final, which I know you've covered already. Um, obviously, a lot of familiar characters um, between those games. Um, and also, I think, kind of marked uh, maybe a slight turning point for European football, where I'd say this was maybe the last point where you could conceivably say that Italian football dominated Europe. Mm. Um, I think you can look at this in combination with their struggles in the in the uh, Champions League at the time and say basically football was going in a slightly different direction and uh, an Italian football really was about to be left behind. Yeah. Um, Belgium and Netherlands hosted the tournament, of course. And, and I, I personally remember going into this tournament that in my mind... Well, it wouldn't be in my mind. It was just, it was, I'm sure I'm in a lot of minds of people, but from what I remember, Netherlands and France were the two red-hot favourites for this. In fact, people were really saying, well, surely that, that they'll be the two teams in the final. And they they were in the same group, obviously, in the first round. Yeah, and I think throughout that tournament, it was almost like we have 30-odd games as a build-up to a, a Netherlands-France final. It, it was that kind of tilted, wasn't it? Yeah. Towards those two. I mean, they were, individually, they were both really really exceptional mm. I mean from France's perspective remember Emmanuel Petit saying before the final sorry before the tournament that France probably had eight of the best 11 in the world now I think he was probably including himself in that <laughs> so, almost definitely I'd probably knock it Petit. down to seven but I think he, he genuinely has a case there yeah. um, and of course that's partly why this is so fascinating because Italy knocked out Holland, the hosts in the semi-final. That's right. With the most stereotypically <sighs> Italian performance you ever I mean, That was an extraordinary What a yeah. match that was. The greatest nil-nil of all time? Uh, Glenn Hoddle disagrees. England, Italy. <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> but yes, it, it, it would be up there. I mean, the, the, the two sides, France and Netherlands, they played each other in the group and it was a very entertaining 3-2 win for the Netherlands. I mean, the only thing you'd say about that was it was a dead robber and it was. both teams were already through. So, But that's what... And, and that almost added to it. it was, there was a slight exhibition feel to it with these two teams no not for me not for you <laughs> but for others perhaps I don't want a game that matters I know you do Jonathan but we never got the game that matters between those two sides which which we thought we might Italy were were quite impressive in their in their group they, they won all three games they beat Turkey 2-1 Belgium the host 2-0 and Sweden 2-1 did you I mean did, did you, I, I sort of forget now going into that tournament what was the feeling for Italy oh really negative yeah it was uh, wasn't it I mean, I, yeah, I mean okay. they, they hadn't been impressive in qualification the two things they had going for them were probably the best goalkeeper in the world mm-hmm. and possibly the best striker in the world at that point in Vieri. And they were both out injured. Yeah. So Buffon was out, Vieri was out. They had to use Toldo instead. Um, and so expectations were just at an all-time low. Mm-hmm. There was a big campaign, I think, in Gazzetta della Sport, one of the Italian sports newspapers anyway. That the front, front page headline was just stay at home Italy because they thought they were going to embarrass themselves so much. So there was absolutely no expectation at Blimey. all. Um but if there's one country who can kind of get around the loss of star players and just get through on, you know, a bit of strategy and a bit of kind of defensive grit, then it was Italy. And that's exactly what they did. Mm. So, yeah, they topped their group with with nine points. And then obviously Netherlands were, were, were top with nine points, France with six. Now, g- g- the first game the Netherlands played, they they beat the Czechs 1-0 and actually were quite fortunate to win that. But France were looking good, Jonathan. They were obviously uh, world champions at the time, having won in, in the 1990s. Well, I, I think this is a stronger team in 98. Yeah, I'd agree with you. That, uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the 11 that started the final, so, so the back four is essentially the same. Uh, I mean, LeBeuf's disappeared to be replaced by Dessay. Uh, he's you know, no longer playing in, in midfield. Blanc alongside him. Blanc played in the final this time, obviously missed yeah. out in 98. Uh, t- uh, Tiram and, and Lizarazu at fullback. Vieira and Deschamps. Yeah, Vieira, who was in the squad in 98, but 
but yeah, was was by mm. no means a guaranteed starter. And then Joker for Zidane, Henri, and again Henri, who's been sort of peripheral in '98, has become a fully fledged player with, with Dugarry up front. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it's a really, really strong side. And Petit can't get in the team. I mean, that's that that suggests their strength. <laughs> yeah. Can I can I suggest that I actually thought Zidane was more impressive in this tournament than he was in '98. He barely played '98. Zidane in '98 is an absolute myth. Yeah, you know, he he's sent off stupidly for stamping on on uh, play, a player against Saudi Arabia, yeah. and then he scores two headers in the final, and this makes him the best player in the world. What, <laughs> where does that come from? I mean, I sort of see what you're saying. I mean, two goals. Oh, and... I've I've seen Niall Quinn score two headers in the game. There you are. You see, nobody ever called him the best player in the game. And he very rarely got sent off. Mm-hmm. Michael, would you like to comment on that, or perhaps distance yourself? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think Zidane <laughs> summarises the the shift between '98 and 2000. Yeah. Um, I mean, in, in the aforementioned book you mentioned at the start, uh, yeah. which is about, you know, the modern history of European football, I kind of divide it into eras. And for me, that France side in 98 was essentially like an Italian side. Very strong yeah. uh, defensively, lots of defensive midfielders. Well, they were, conceded two goals the whole tournament. Exactly. And one was in a dead run. Whereas by this point, they'd really evolved into something that I think felt quite new, particularly with the pace of the side. Zidane, I completely agree with Jonathan, um, was excellent in 2000. Um, but also just the strength and depth they've got up front. You know, after 98 where it was Givash and everyone was joking about how he wasn't scoring, suddenly you've got Henri's a world-class player, Trezeguet's fantastic, Nicolas Anelka missed out in 98 and is coming to the side, um, and Sylvain Viltord as well, who, you know, has as much of an impact as anyone. Mm-hmm. They've just got this embarrassment of riches. And it Pires goes back coming to, through. Yeah, and, P- and Pires, of course, who makes an impact in the final as well. But you've got this embarrassment of riches and you go from this Italian... Uh, approach that really they, they kind of pride themselves on I think managers as much as players you know we were always learning about Covacciano and this it's incredible school of coaches and with France it was all about uh, Claire Fontaine and they're just producing you know none of neither of the managers Jacquet or, or Lemay you'd say are all-time greats as managers um, but they were almost like you know they were almost Wenger characters they just managed this group of players and it was by this point an incredible group of players yeah uh, into the knockouts you know Italy beat Hadji's Romania 2-0 and, and was and were looking good you know the Totti was 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 impressing there a few others and then Zaghi was was among the goals as well and you're thinking oh they they again from from my own memory I remember that uh, certainly um some people you know England had gone out at that point there was there was a lot of goodwill towards Italy I think in in more sort of neutral territory and so on and Netherlands hammered Yugoslavia 6-1 uh, and France beat Spain who were a decent side too it was a great game that game in Spain it was I mean Absolutely magnificent mm. game of football. So um Zidane put him ahead and Mendieta penalty leveled it up and then Djokovic scored just before half time. But that was a really, really high class football that, that that match. Yeah, Djokovic was a phenomenal player. He was overshadowed understandably by some of the names there, but he was always one of my favourite ones to watch, actually. And when he was at Inter as well, he was he was phenomenal without getting sidetracked. So into the semi-finals. Now both of these games had uh, their <laughs> moments, didn't they? In particular, with with France beating Portugal two one, and and a, and a pretty good Portugal side actually, with Figo in there, and you know people fancied them to well, do it's, something. It's a great Portugal side. We kept waiting to to do something. Yeah. Goal, their golden generation, uh, who'd won the two World Youth Cups. Mm. You know, it's it's that side reaching maturity. So I mean, they, they were. They they were sort of burdened by huge huge expectation, and by the fact that they. They just couldn't find a centre forward worthy of the name. Yeah, um, and that that was always their problem. But even even when they were winning the the youth tournaments, absolutely fantastic three midfield, kept the ball really well, but never quite seemed to turn that domination into goals. Well, and they should have, decent they were, because it 
it took a penalty. I mean, Nuno Gomes, I guess, is is not a bad player. Yeah, I know but, he's but, a, you know, he's, he's not no Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, <laughs> we can all agree. Well, if you put put Ronaldo into that side, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, there you go. Um, so yeah, the, in the 117th minute, France won it with a golden goal. Zidane converting a penalty after it. Was it three Portuguese players sent off? Yeah, but I think what's really interesting about that is is not just the penalty and not just the Portuguese protests, which was so bad. I think Nuno Gomes and one other player got banned for like six months from all. Abel Xavier got banned. Didn't yeah, Xavier was one of them. But if you look at the way the penalty is won, yeah, there's a long ball to Trezeguet and a flick on to Will Tord, and they've come off the bench as subs. Ah. And that, that might prove little interesting little later in our discussion. Yeah, well, and, and also as well, I mean, whatever one may think about Zidane, the coolness to just wait for, I don't know how long it was from penalty given to penalty taken. Yeah, well, there's an interesting little uh, tidbit from that. Go on. Which is that when all this squabbling is going on, Robert Pires takes the ball and acts like he's going to take the penalty. Ah. And then a couple of the Portuguese players focus on trying to put him off. Interesting. And in, and in the in the background, Zidane is just waiting there, being just, very cool. He's just having a fag. Yeah. He's just having a smoke. I'm, I mean, <laughs> I must say, I, I'm a huge Zidane sceptic. Really? I mean, I, I think he's the most overrated player I've seen in my time watching football. But he was fantastic in Euro 2000. And in the semi against Portugal, it's probably the best game he's ever played. He was just genuinely magnificent. Better than the game against Brazil in 2006? Yeah, I think so. He was very good in that game. But against Portugal, he does some things with the ball that I, I genuinely haven't seen a play. It's funny do. you say you're a Zidane sceptic, because I know Jonathan's eyes uh, lit up when you said that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm quite <laughs> as much of a Zidane sceptic as you are, but I, I am a sceptic. I mean, he had so many bad seasons. So many bad seasons. <laughs> if, if, if third and fourth season at Juventus... There was one of the seasons where he got one goal and one assist all season, playing behind Del Piero and Inzaghi. It's Jesse Lingard-esque, you'd say. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Real Madrid as well, he had two really off-seasons. But, I mean, he genuinely did, with with a slight exception 98, I agree, but he, he did generally play well at, at major tournaments. I think that's the thing, when, when the eyes of the world were watching, which of yeah. course is very different nowadays when you've got all the footage at your disposal exactly. for the for the big international tournaments and, and moments in the Champions League and so on. You, you can reel off sort of five or six moments and, and for a player like that, yeah, for, for, for a player than which you can do that, they're always going to be held in the highest thing. I mean, but I just think it's it's you know it's the difference between the football of the last 10 years and what's gone before. And this might be because Messi and Ronaldo are such freakish figures and we may drift back to the old world I think in the old days you didn't have to do that much to get worldwide acclaim mm. if you did you know if he scored a couple of big goals and big finals you know Zidane obviously against Leverkusen plus you know his two goals in the 98 World Cup final plus this great tournament plus you know a couple of, of great performances in 2006 <laughs> The fact he did absolutely nothing in between. Well, but mm. the thing is, that's the point, is because you've reeled off a load of th- impressive things there, but naturally people will just join it the dots. It did that was the case of the prosecution, not the defence. <laughs> I accept it may have sounded. <laughs> All right. You're sceptic, well, in, in a Scottish court of law, not proven. So maybe well, that's... <laughs> am I saying he's a terrible footballer? No. All I'm saying is... Because that would be ridiculous if you yeah, did. Well, was he consistently one of the 10 best players in the world throughout his career? No. Okay. A couple of seasons, yeah, but not consistently. All right. Well, we digress. In this one last thing. <laughs> Go on. This, I think it's worth pointing out yeah. to, to maybe younger viewers who, who might not have... Uh, listeners. Listeners. <laughs> it's maybe worth pointing out to younger listeners who, who might not remember this tournament. This was really built during the tournament as like a brilliant festival of football. Yeah, like it, was. It, it, it was. It was a great tournament. It was tournament. so yeah, attacking. Yeah, really good tournament. And part of the reason for that was all the semi, uh, all four semi-finalists had a great number 10. Zidane, Rui Costa, Totti and Burkamp. Yeah. So it, it was really exciting just to watch those players 
given the platform to shine in this really, compared to your 96 and your 92, yeah. a really open tournament. And it was also a tournament which 4-2-3-1 really sort of began to make its presence felt. And one of the things, I, mean, I remember Ferguson talking about this, the, the advantages of 4-2-3-1 over 4-4-2, which, I mean, it sounds bizarre now that this was ever a debate, but people had to be convinced that 4-2-3-1 with one forward was actually more attacking or could be more attacking than 4-4-2. Yeah. That in year 96... A lot of teams play these quite blockish four four twos, and even England. Although weirdly, that tournament sort of is remembered as a tournament which England went all in on the back three, which happened for about half an hour against Scotland. Um, and it was yeah, you know, England played quite a fluid four four two slash four three three for most of that tournament. But by uh, by year two thousand, forty three one has really begun to become a um, a, a regular feature. And what it what it does is what Ferguson said was it gets the dribblers back in the game. Yeah, you can afford to have dribblers in a four two three one that you cannot have in a four four two, and that's why I think you get this great attacking football. The number tens with often with dribblers either side of them, and so of course the football is is more exciting and more creative and, and looks better. Indeed. All right. After the break, more Euro two thousand chat. See you in a moment. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble.
Il y a du monde, il y a du monde, il y a très égard L'équipe de France est championne d'Europe L'équipe de France est championne d'Europe grâce à Pires et très égard sur ce coup-là, mais aussi grâce à Wilton Welcome back, everybody. Um, yeah, so we, we mentioned that uh, semi-final, France beating Portugal. Zidane, so cool, tucking the penalty in, in the top corner to win the game. Uh, a golden goal as well, which was a bit of a novelty and, and I suppose has remained because they've scrapped that. Uh, well, a good thing too, because it's absolute nonsense. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, and then Italy played the Netherlands in the other semi-final and everyone's thinking, oh, OK, so France are through. Now Netherlands will, will join them or whichever way round the, the, the games where I forget. Uh, and Italy have Zambrotta sent off after 34 minutes. And you think to yourself, oh, they're, they're in trouble. Now, Toldo saves the penalty. And the way he sort of leaped up when he saved it, Italy was still very much in the game. And then, I mean, we maybe not so much these days, but certainly you've hinted at it earlier, the, the Italian sort of masterclass at defending and so on. We saw it that day, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, Holland managed to miss two penalties in normal They've time. missed a further one, yeah. <laughs> and also two in, in the shootout. Yeah, yeah. So Italy certainly relied on uh, a little bit of luck. But it, yeah, it was an incredible game. It was just, it's a bit of a cliche, but it was just defence versus attack. Yeah. Um, and there was just such a kind of clamour for Holland to go through as the neutrals' favourites on home soil. And one of my favourite things uh, about this that I saw when researching the book was at full time, or sorry, after the penalty shootout, after Italy's progression has been confirmed, some of the Italian supporters just hold up a banner that says Catanaccio. Which <laughs> 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 is great. <laughs> Super. <laughs> Toe <Tarring> the party <laughs> line. <laughs> Marvellous, yeah. I mean, it did feel like they, they'd just got to the final through the back door. I mean, the Dutch... Well, yeah, but it's one of those results, Jonathan, I think, that I think we would take clarify, fans. think we should though, this idea of a great defensive performance. Yeah. Because they, they got a man sent off... Mm. They concede two penalties. Well, the sending off was to, was was one of the penalties. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they could easily have lost that game, two nil, three nil, and it, even on the flow of the game as it was, would not have been ridiculous. Mm. So what it was was, I think, not a great defensive performance, but a performance in which yeah they did everything possible to maximise the luck that they got, but needed, and so it's incredibly sort of. Yeah. Courage isn't quite the right word. It's sort of a moral courage of not being phased by uh, the fact that everything is going against them. You saw the body in the way. It wasn't sort of a, a classic defensive performance as, say, Nottingham Forest against Hamburg in 1980. Sure. But I think, I think you know, you're playing the tournament hosts who are a better side and they have a one man advantage. The fact is that Toldo saves that penalty, gives everybody a massive lift. I'd grant you that Cliver then hits one off the post. So yeah, masterclass might not be the right sort of terminology, but it was it was quite heroic. In, in it was, other... it was it, yeah, I think I think it was heroic rather than okay. necessarily brilliant defending. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're agreed there. So they they progressed to the final, which was in Rotterdam, I think, and um, and. Italy. So one selection, Michael, that, that baffled quite a few people. Italy had played with Totti off a front man, which tended to be Inzaghi. And Marco Del Vecchio, much unfancied, but he had been up front for Roma at the time. Yep. He'd only played, I think, 13 minutes mm-hmm. the whole tournament. His substitute appearance against Belgium in the first round in the, in the, in the group stages, he starts the final. Yeah, so he's yeah the most functional forward you could find. <laughs> and it's just in stark contrast to Thierry Omri at the other end. Yeah, But he's brought into the side because he's kind of good in the air, good at holding up the ball. 
um, works well with Totti because of their relationship at club level. But do you think um, that just wasn't a game for Inzaghi? No, I think probably not because I think they know they're going to be on the back foot for so long. Right. Um, and yeah, so you need the outlet, you need somebody to hold them. Yeah, on. I mean, it was a time at that point. I mean, these days you'd say if you're going to play on the counter, maybe use a quick forward to go in behind, almost like a Jamie Vardy figure. Yeah. But at that point, it's all about holding up the ball. You don't really hear that as much anymore. Sure. But Del Vecchio was considered someone who could hold up the ball. And that's why, you know, the following season, uh, Capello really loved him at Roma, despite the fact he had Montella sitting on the bench who scored every time he came on. So that was a big debate. But he's, you know, just quite an average forward by international standards, um, but opens the scoring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know... It looks like Italy are on for the most Italian victory of all time. <laughs> it's, it's a lovely goal as well. The, the uh, little back heel by um, by Totti for Bizotto overlapping, puts in the cross and Del, Del Vecchio sort of nice little controlled side foot finish. It was a lovely finish. So he t- reacted t- well, to be fair. No, to whole, Del everything about the goals now. Yeah, Totti's sort of imagination. Mm. Yeah, Bizotto making that run, crossing to exactly the right area, and yeah. And Pizzotto, he came in because Zambrotta was was suspended. Was yeah. suspended. Um, in Italy, you obviously play with the back three, Cannavaro, Nesta and, and Juliano. Um, it was nice to see Albertini in the centre midfield, what a lovely player he was. And Fiore was another one who had a, a tournament where I think many of us hadn't perhaps heard of him. He was a funny player, Fiore. He was. He was kind of a, almost like an English number eight, like an attacking midfielder. I wouldn't say he was a playmaker. Yeah. He kind of floated around with Totti, but often played a little bit deeper in midfield and pushed forward. I kind of liked him, but I'd, I'd struggle to really compare him to another, certainly to another Italian yeah. midfielder. Uh-huh. Um, and and it, it, as, as we expected in this game, before Italy scored, France were on the, the front foot. And, you know, Italy had a bit of the ball, but it, it was, it was, you know, it was funny watching the highlights back. I thought this actually game was a lot faster and a bit more end to end without that many clear cut chances than what I remembered. But when Italy scored, obviously France sort of ramped it up, but they've found it quite heavy going trying to trying to get through that Italian backline. And Toldo just looked imperious in goal. He looked fantastic. I mean, obviously that semi-final, you know, many Italians will hold his performance up in high regard with that penalty save and so on. But he was magnificent. But we, but unfortunately, we have to mention Del Piero's missed chances because yeah. they were such crucial moments in the game. In that yeah. second half, Italy didn't... They weren't giving away that much. I mean, France always looked likely to score with those players, but the ball drops to Del Piero. Del Piero would come on for Fiore. Yes, should have uh, said, yeah. Just after half time. And he's got two chances there, and you would think he would be annoyed to miss one of them. But, ah, Jonathan, especially that second one when it comes to him. Yeah. Um, a player of his quality. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Do players that quality, are they haunted by things? I don't know, but... Yeah, I know it, what you mean. Yeah, he, he he must look back at that game and think I should have won that. Well, I, I think I should have put that out of sight. But I think in two thousand and six, when he gets that second goal against Germany in the semi final, yeah. and obviously they crucially they go on to win the game. I think from what I remember, there was a little bit of exercise in the demons in that moment. Yeah, I think even the header he scored against Mexico, yeah. in, in two thousand two. But it's worth pointing out. I mean, a little bit similar to Zidane. Obviously, they were together at Juventus at the same time. But Del Piero had a really bad 18-month spell where he had a bad injury. Um, he was just massively out of form. And things have got so bad that people aren't really treating this as a one-off. People are saying, you know, that's Del Piero finished. He's mm. kind of over the hill. And so the fact he went on for about another 10 years at the top level yeah. is, is remarkable. <laughs> it's pretty good, yeah. So um, he, he had just uh, seven months before this final described me as Il Maestro. 
in, uh... <laughs> I, th- I think it's time for this story, Jonathan. Oh, is, it, uh, is the world ready for it? I think they are because it concerns... Well, if you insist. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Um, so it's my first ever journalistic assignment and significantly the best. Um, got sent to uh, Brussels to the constant band stock yeah. and Lex Ground to help play test the Adidas Terrestre Silverstream, the official ball of the year 2000. Yeah. And so there's various drills, including me scoring a volley past Evan van der Sar, but we won't go into that in too much detail. Uh, but the best bit was free kicks. Oh, yes. And so there's a there's a, like a you know, metal five-man wall, and at, at first there's no keeper there. Mm. Del Piero, bang, top corner. Line of journalists, I don't know, 20, 30 journalists. And I, I'm rubbish at football, it should be said. I mean, I wouldn't tell the story if I weren't rubbish at football. <laughs> I've shuffled a second back in the queue because I'm thinking, this is going to be embarrassing. And everybody's flicking the ball over the wall and it's going in because it's quite easy to flick a ball over a wall into a big net. And so I think I managed that competently enough. And then for the second go, they put in an Andalek goalkeeping coach. Del Piero, bang, top corner. And every journalist, and I'm still the second last in the queue, yeah, you try and, you've got to put more pace in it because mm. the keeper there. So you, people are blasting it over, they're hitting it into the wall, they're putting it wide, or the keeper's saving it. And I'd noticed the keeper's taking a massive hop to his left because everybody's trying to put a top right corner. So I thought, I'm just going to drill this bottom left. Caught it as sweet as you can. And it kicks up off the six-yard line. And he's wrong-footed, tries to get back, but goes over his hand because it's kicked up off the six-yard line. I'm the only journalist to score. There you go. And as I score, Del Piero comes up to me and pats me on the shoulder and goes, Il Maestro. <laughs> there you are, Michael. Something that, that you could have included in your book, but, you know, uh, wisely chose not to, perhaps. No, no need. Let Jonathan tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, Del Piero. So anyway, I'm not going to criticise Del Piero. No, I don't. He was, was an excellent judge of talent and uh, was a magnificent footballer. Indeed. Uh, but uh, So he missed his chance. And, and, uh, as you mentioned in the semi-final um, chat a bit earlier, Will Tord's come on now uh, with Trezeguet and they're... Using their pace, trying to get at France and Will Tord. I mean, there was a number of times in that game down to Italy's right hand side, France were attacking quite there and they were trying to square the ball back or have a few shots and so on. And Toldo was was, was equal to all of them. And then, you know, in the last minute, Will Tord squeezes a shot under Toldo, who'd been magnificent all tournament. And it was one where, and there's a camera angle where the ball squeezes under his body, and you can see Tolo look round and then just have his head in his hands mm. because you—that is a great angle. You're right. Yeah, and you don't want to be too harsh on the keeper, but he'd be disappointed he didn't save it. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, and he was a great goalkeeper at this point. Oh. I mean, he was—I don't think he was far off Buffon. I think he was—he was, he was an argument. He was, you know, top five goalkeepers in the world. He was just unfortunate he was behind Buffon in the pecking order. So this was his one chance in his career to shine. And was the best goalkeeper in the tournament. Well, he probably would that. have been player of the tournament, mm, which was possibly. Zidane, I think, wasn't it? Yes. Um, yeah. If he saves that shot and Italy mm. go in and win 1 0, he might well have been player of the tournament. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, they, as you were saying, it's the subs who, who make the difference. Yeah. yeah, it's a long punt from Bartas, flicked on by Trezeguet, a sub for Wiltor, a yeah. sub. And then, yeah, and then scores the goal. And then after that, really, I mean, France, when they get in, um, obviously it goes to extra time. When they regroup, you see some of the players smiling and patting Will Tord on the back and there's a feeling, oh, you got us out of that one and now we're going to go on and win this. It's the most obvious outcome of extra time you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know, whether or not you believe in the concept of momentum in a football match, yeah. Italy had just been defending doggedly for half an hour without really attacking. Mm. France have chucked on all the big guns. To put it into context, they brought on Pires for Lizarazu. So... 
you know, you're not going to ask Perez to play in a conventional yeah. left-back position. You've just got to get him to play as an extra winger. And they go for it, and it's it's not long before the inevitable happens. Yeah, which is, which is why when you, when you see them chucking forward, you, again, I'll go on about it too much, but that those Del Piero misses, to have two really good chances open up against that French side to kill it off. I mean, it, it, I, I, I suppose for the psyche of certain Italian fans, it's just as well they won the World Cup six years later because, <laughs> yeah. you know, there probably would be a result they would have never gotten over, perhaps. Um, but yes, of course, uh, into extra time. And again, it's an attack down... Um, the Italian right-hand side, perhaps because Maldini's over on the other side, maybe they're, they're going for Pizzotto perhaps a little bit more. Uh, the ball comes in and David Trezeguet smashes home the winner, which is a beautiful right, finish. Right, and Piero's cross, so again, two substitutes combining. Yeah, absolutely. And and that was it, golden goal, of course. But I mean, I know the golden goal was rubbish and we're glad that we got rid of it, but I don't think we needed any more extra time when that one went in. As you say, it was a pretty foregone conclusion. Well, you're right, and yet... It would it would have been really interesting to see what France did. Did would, they try? Would they have tried to get Perez to play at left back? <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, you put it like that. <laughs> Intra, yeah, they'd have had to play a whole half of. Well, I mean, do, do they just keep going and assume they score more goals? I, I don't know. Maybe they do, but yeah. Well, we'll never know. Yeah, that, uh, that, that's why I don't like golden goal. It just sort of, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, it sort of um, it creates sort of an artificiality to to the game because there's yeah there's sort of no consequences yeah. Um, yeah I mean I guess you could argue consequences are even more profound because if you concede one that that's it as well but mm-hmm. it just I don't know I never liked it wonderful and, finish though from Trezeguet oh he was brilliant with his with his left foot yeah, yeah. I mean there's another great angle to that behind the goal yeah. when you just see the ball balloon into the top of the net <laughs> I mean there's another couple of maybe not ironies but coincidences here one Trezeguet's already signed for Juventus. So uh, he arrives in Italy as public <laughs> enemy number one. And second, obviously six years later, he's the guy who misses the, the only miss that's right. in the penalty shootout, which is probably about an inch yep. in almost the exact uh, same place above where he arrows this into the top corner. Um, so yeah, he arrives in Italy and he's public number one. And it's a funny little pattern, actually. I mean, I guess because Serie A was importing so many players, but you know, Trezeguet uh, defeats him in 2000 and then goes to Juventus. 2002, it's An Young Juan, who famously was at Perugia and almost got sacked because he put Italy out. That's right, yeah. 2004, you can kind of attribute it to the Ibrahimovic goal. He was yes. uh, in Italy at the time. So they keep on getting uh, mm-hmm. knocked out by players they're very familiar with. Yeah, and and what were the... I mean, so France then become world champions. as They're already world champions. They become European champions as well, which was a hell of a feat, really. And, and I know well, Spain... I think have... to an extent it sort of uh, validates... The World Cup, because I think, you know, I certainly felt in the World Cup they hadn't been great. Yeah, you can argue they 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 were the best team in the tournament if you like, but they they weren't a great side. They weren't obviously, you know, the the, the team who deserved to win it. And you know, they they got they really sort of scrambled through some games. You know, the the goal the golden goal against Paraguay, Lillian Taram scoring the only two goals of his career in the semi final when they'd been outplayed in the first half. By penalties Croatia. against Italy in the penalties against Italy in the in the quarter final. Um, Brazil in bit in disarray because of the Ronaldo business exactly, in the final. Yeah. Um, so there was a sense of they, they sort of scrambled their way through 98, 2000. They were a really good team and absolutely deserved it. I think they would have beaten the Dutch as well in the finals for what it, what that's worth. But then, of well, course, was that strange? Yeah, with Frank Rijkaard. You know, I, I don't know. Frank Rijkaard's managerial career is, is <laughs> the absolute. most confusing thing in history. <laughs> you know, his career, managerial career, is awful. Apart from the bit where he's brilliant at Barcelona. Yeah. 
like sensation, like basically puts Barcelona properly back on the map. Yeah, as we calms know everybody now. down and lays the groundwork for for Guardiola. For all it had gone wrong by the end of his reign, and, yeah. and you know he, he seems taking his eye off the ball a bit, and they they got a bit. Um, yeah, there was a sort of decadence to the end of his reign there. But what he did when he came in and, and, and all the, the chaos that had been left after Van Gaal's second spell and Sarah Ferrer and all that, you know, incredible job he did. Um, but if you look at his managerial career, apart from that, this was his first job, the Netherlands, losing in the semi on home soil. It's a bit of a disappointment. It's a disappointment. Yeah, it's not a terrible result, no. it's, but it, it's probably slightly under par. He then gets Sparta Rotterdam relegated for the first time in their history. <laughs> And then he, he's running a lingerie shop and <laughs> is about to go and become manager of the Dutch Antilles when Barcelona give him a ring. <laughs> so do, do you mind turning down Aruba to, to come, come and manage Barcelona? <laughs> Which is fair enough. Which he did. He did indeed. But what were the, I mean, what were the sort of ripple effects of this final? Because France, obviously, as you said, with Claire Fontaine, you know, producing players as they are now, reached two more um, World Cup finals since that sort of team of the 98 and 2000 yeah I mean I think it's really interesting in the aftermath because obviously the big names from France have already gone abroad like Zidane and Henri but yeah. you see everyone else snapped up Trezeguet is about to go Pires goes to Arsenal Wiltor goes to Arsenal and you have this almost bun fight from Premier League clubs over just any half decent looking player in the French under 21 side yeah. so you have like Arsenal going for Ali Adier and Man United getting uh, David Bellion after he'd been at oh, Sunderland yeah. and Letalic and Cinema Pongo at Liverpool. It's just, if you've been in, in France's youth systems, you must be a good player. Well, there's a definite sense that Clairefontaine was, you know, they've got the formula, they've got the secret and we all have to copy this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was evident even in, you know, later when we're setting up St. George's Park, people are mm. still talking about Clairefontaine. But I actually think the more interesting response is in Italy. Right. Um, this was obviously a pretty gutting defeat for them. And uh, one of the pundits who's most vociferous afterwards is one Silvio Berlusconi, oh, yeah. who lays into Dino's off and says it was an absolute crime to leave Zidane unmarked for the whole game. And anyone who actually <laughs> understands football watches it and says, well... Actually, Zidane probably had his quietest game yeah. in the tournament. Um, but Zoff is so offended by these remarks that he resigns and, and literally says it's because of Berlusconi. And Italy then react to that. Um, having had this slightly complex debate throughout the 90s about how you play defensively, whether you play with a zone or whether you man mark, they appoint Trapattoni, who's the most old school uh. Italian manager. Um, and I'm not sure that Zoff wanted to play this defensively in Euro 2000. I think he wanted to be a bit more proactive Certainly if they'd had Vieri, I think they maybe would have been a little bit more attacking. But they end up playing really defensively and Trapattoni comes in and says, great, that's what Italian football is, that's what we should be. And I think over the next four years, he really wastes a, a great generation of attackers that obviously, you know, fire Italy to the, uh, mm -hmm. to the World Cup in 2006. But I think they really take a backward step, not just in terms of the national team, but in terms of the whole football and culture. Um, and, you know, like I said earlier, at this point, the Champions League results, they went from dominating the European Cup every year to quite often not getting any teams into the knockout stage. And you just see that Italy and Germany tactically are just miles behind, you know, the, the likes of France, the likes of Holland in, in international terms and in, in club terms behind the Spanish sides who just start to completely dominate. Yeah, interesting. Well, is it, yeah, the, the, the advances that have been made under Saki and, and, and post-Saki, you know, it's the... the, the yeah, the, the counter-revolution against that, isn't it? It's sort mm. of the the last sort of um, flailing kind of attempt of the old school to to, to go back to the pre-Saki days. 
and Trapattoni is the the archetype of that. Yeah, absolutely. He did get the Ireland job though. In the end. That's the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, it's been a pleasure talking to you about this one. Thank you very much indeed. Um, thank you very much, uh, Jonathan. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. For more stories like this, do check out blizzard.co.uk. We shall see you next week. Stakhanov Production.